This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. While the World Health Organization has declared an international health emergency over the spread of the Zika virus, now known to cause devastating birth defects. The agency predicted that the virus would spread from South America to the southern United States by the end of the year, infecting many millions of people. And in late July, Florida officials announced what appeared to be the first locally transmitted cases of Zika infection in the continental United States. And full-scale containment activities have been underway. Well, here with more on all of this and what is known and not known about the Zika virus is Dr. Mark Polemus. He's Associate Professor of Medicine, Microbiology, and Immunology at Upstate Medical University, and he's the Director of the Center for Global Health Translational Science. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming in, Dr. Polemus. Let's begin by helping us understand, get our arms around kind of this whole idea of what exactly is the Zika virus. So uh, Zika... It is a virus um, that is transmitted by two types of mosquitoes. Um, it's an emerging infection, so um, there are more cases now than there were in the past, and it also means that we're just now starting to get to know about it. It really raised its head out of Uganda in the late 1940s. Uh, and then the most interesting part is over the last uh, uh, two to three years, we have really seen a massive number of uh, uh, cases expanding. I understand that it started really, as you said, Uganda, so it was mostly prevalent in Africa and Asia, and then only in the last two years it's now spread to the Western Hemisphere. Correct. So how exactly is it spread? So it's, it's um, most commonly spread by the bite of uh, the mosquito that carries the virus. And that mosquito is? The Aedes. Aedes aegypti? Aedes aegypti and Aedes albopictus. Oh, so there are two different two Aedes different mosquitoes. Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, but it can also be uh, spread through uh, uh, through sexual contact with someone who has been infected by the virus. It can probably be spread through uh, blood transfusions if the blood has come from a donor infected by the virus. Uh, and now the most uh, concerning uh, is that it can be uh, spread through sexual transmission. And that was uh, and really unknown before. It was really unknown before. Uh, the one that's carrying the most complications, though, is the uh, is the ability of uh, spread from a, a pregnant woman to the fetus. And that's, is that move through the placental barrier? Is that what happens? Correct. Yeah. So basically, just go over a little bit about the transmission, the vector transmission, though, with the mosquito. What exactly happens? So the mosquito's flying around where it lives, and it does what? So a mosquito that has the virus inside it uh, bites a human. So um, it would have, but how would it have gotten the virus inside it to start with, uh, the mosquito? From likely from another human. Okay, so it would have bitten someone with the, with the disease, has it inside it, and then goes on to... Goes on to bite the next human. Um, somewhere um, three to four days later, uh, the, the patient uh, has virus in its blood and becomes symptomatic, uh, and then uh, another mosquito uh, bites that infected person and takes it on uh, to the next one. So basically, what does this disease look like in most people? Let's put aside what we know about all of the potentially devastating birth defects. What, I mean, if it were, if that were not part of the picture, what would the disease look like in most so for the vast healthy majority, adults? So for the vast majority of people um, who are infected with Zika, they either have no symptoms or they have very mild symptoms. And the symptoms are? The symptoms uh, include um, um, fever, rash, 
uh, muscle aches, joint aches, uh, red eyes. Kind uh, of a flu-like headache, syndrome. Some flu-like symptoms is what it's often described as. But there are people who don't know they have it. There are most of the people. Are asymptomatic completely. Correct. So it's kind of one of these very arcane or kind of under-the-radar kind of problems in a sense. Correct. I think, uh, I think the projections are that there are many, many more infections out there than we know about from the symptomatic people that present uh, and are evaluated by the disease. How is it determined that you have Zika? Um, there, there's testing that can be done. It's a PCR. Uh, that tests PCR for, meaning? Uh, polymerase chain reaction. It's a test. Uh, it's a, a blood test? A blood, sorry, it's a blood test, yes, that, uh, um, that, that can test for the virus in the blood. But that's you, the only way to know well, that you, you, you... There are antibody tests that you can, you can test to tell you if, you if you've recently had it or had it sometime in the past as well. So basically, if you have, again, putting aside the problem with the birth defect aspect of it, um, do we know if it causes any other long-term problems or sequelae in a otherwise healthy child or adult? So um, probably the most serious complication in an otherwise healthy person is, uh, is Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a... Uh, which is a um, it affects neurologic. the neurologic uh, portion of the body, and, and you get uh, a weakness and sometimes paralysis. That lasts? It, it too, is usually self-limited, so it comes and goes, just like the Zika uh, disease. But there is the potential to have some long-standing complications from it. But for the vast majority of people, they either have no symptoms, and then they're, they have long-standing protection, or they have the symptoms of Zika, and they have still long-standing protection. So let's talk about that. Long-standing protection meaning once you've had the disease, you're immune to getting it again. Correct. And is it felt that that's pretty much lifelong immunity? I think the hope is that it's like many other uh, diseases and it's lifelong immunity. Um, however, long-standing is about all we can say right now. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with infectious disease expert Dr. Mark Polemus. We're talking about the latest things that we do and do not know about the Zika virus. So briefly, where do you find these mosquitoes in the United States? Well, there's been some um, maps that have come out just recently that are currently on the CDC website that uh, shows that uh, actually most of the United States is is uh, possible areas where you can, um, where the mosquito uh it interacts with humans. However, um, we have we have you know I independent local efforts that are that are searching for mosquitoes, and so where they are um, is not as as clear as a, a map that covers you know large portions of the United States. We do know that there are significant populations of the of the vector uh, in densely populated areas in the southern parts of the United States the, that are the set Gulf up. Coast, yeah. Correct, the Gulf Coast, Florida, Louisiana, and and Texas that are those, set up for disease. Those same um, Aedes aegypti and the other name that you mentioned, those mosquitoes also carry other very concerning, like dengue and, and chikungunya, which is another kind of serious viral infection. So those those same, if those mosquitoes could exist in elsewhere in the United States, theoretically we could all be exposed to, I mean throughout the United States, to a lot of these disease entities where we thought they were pretty well localized in the southern portion of this country. That's correct, and actually dengue is a, is a great model. So dengue, um, carried by the same mosquito, has been circulating in Florida um, uh, for 
three or four years now. Um, so people are getting it just by living in Florida and getting bitten by the mosquito without any travel. So it was a it was an easy jump to make that uh, a similar virus carried by that same vector could circulate in Florida as well. So let's talk about what happens to the fetuses or what we know about these terrible birth defects. Basically, um, can it is it most likely to occur in a so it goes from the mother who's got been bitten to directly to the fetus that she's carrying. Um, is it most uh, virulent or most damaging during the first trimester, or can it be, or do we know, for example, what effects it might have beyond that? I know the microcephaly, one would think, would happen more likely during those very first months when the brain is forming, and well, what, what, what is known? That's correct. So uh, what is known is that uh, we are learning more every day. That's what's, that's what's really known. The, uh, the, the microcephaly has been the probably the most um, uh, commonly, um, you know. Most blatant uh, problem uh, anyway. Yeah, most obvious. Um, it, uh, it is probably associated with uh, infection in the first trimester. Um, but what we're finding is that there are likely complications to Zika infection um, if it occurs a- any time in the pregnancy. And uh, we're starting to find that there are um, associations with uh, eye defects and hearing defects and maybe cognitive defects. And uh, longer-term developmental. Longer-term developmental delays uh, that can be associated with uh, the infection at, at, at different times in the pregnancy. So it really, it's really very threatening to um, any pregnant mom. I guess the question is, do we know if you were... Uh, a woman of childbearing age and you were to get the Zika infection at some point and were not pregnant, if there is any kind of, um, how long does it last in the body and could you sometime bear the effects of this even thinking that, it, in other words, does it go dormant? Does it just live in the body and then kind of wreak havoc later on down the road? Um, if there's a good news uh, story to this, it is the fact that uh, that the body clears the virus. So if a woman um, of childbearing age gets Zika um, and the symptoms come and go, um, then there should be no effect in the future um, on any pregnancy. The official recommendations are that you wait at least eight weeks from the time you're symptomatic or the time you traveled to an area where you potentially could have gotten the disease because we know that many of the people are not symptomatic, right? But eight weeks between the time that um, you're exposed or you have symptoms uh, and you become pregnant. How about for for the partner? Let's say in this case, <clears throat> your spouse, your male partner, what have you, if they were to become infected, what do we know about the, the longevity of the disease within, because we talked about it being transmitted via so- sexual contact? So in men, it's a little more complicated. Um, it looks like the semen uh, is the part of the body that, that uh, seems to keep the virus the longest. Um, there's clearly shown um, at least two months in the semen. Uh, there's been a case report of up to six months in the semen. Wow. The official recommendations are that uh, a man should protect his partner from pregnancy for at least six months. Um, after he's been symptomatic with the disease. So they've kind of given it somewhat of a wide berth, but there really isn't any definitive um, knowledge as to whether it might in some cases exist longer. That's correct. Oh, okay. So basically, there's, I don't want to run out of time, there, there's a full court press going on for vaccines. What, what do we know? What's happening right now? Uh, there's efforts um, in many different sectors of, uh, of the healthcare research uh, 
uh, government and non-government. Right, so the Department of Defense is involved, uh, NIH is involved, many, many pharmaceutical partners are involved. Uh, there's many, many different approaches, just like any vaccine effort uh, to uh, come up with vaccine products. Uh, there's also efforts out there to develop um, um, some, some drugs to either prevent the disease or to treat the disease and to um, uh, some uh, immunoglobulins uh, that you can use to give to pregnant women. I don't want to run out of time. What do you think the containment efforts are doing? Will they be effective in terms of trying to keep these hotspots, so-called hotspots, just that and not have it spread too widely? Frankly, I think it's complicated. Um, we have not done a great job um, over the, over time of, of, of controlling uh, vectors and vector-borne diseases. However, there is a, as you say, a full court press, and I think that uh, I think it will have an impact. I think people will be um, the number of infections will reduce because of these efforts. Do you think that um, at this point, the, what's basically the best way to protect yourself? Then, what do you what would you recommend to someone? someone you know, a patient, what have you? Um, the, um, avoid the mosquito and avoid the body fluid that transmits the disease. That's so the, basically you safe sex, so to speak, not, not, don't contemplate pregnancy. If you're not pregnant, if you are pregnant, use all kinds of techniques to maintain you know, repellents and clear standing water and all of that kind of Correct. stuff. Correct. And I think it's important uh, to, to say that um, y there's no sexual contact that's considered safe. So men who have sex with men, women who have sex with women, men who have sex with women, sex toys are all uh, potential ways that uh, the virus can be transmitted sexually. And of course, anytime you can break the um, bite of the mosquito from the person with uh, long standing clothes and insect repellents, and if people can do that, they're in complete control of whether or not they get uh, uh, Zika virus. Thank you so much for bringing us up to date. It's obviously a continually changing story, but it's, it's fascinating, and obviously in your role, I would think it's something that's extremely important to understand in terms of its ramifications, not only for this disease entity, but for other vector-borne diseases. I want to thank you. My guest has been Dr. Mark Palimus, Associate Professor of Medicine, Microbiology, and Immunology at Upstate Medical University and the Director of the Center for Global Health and Translational Sciences. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.